0: We live in a unique time. Every morning, we willingly dive headfirst into a hornet's nest. In our minds, we consume a flurry of activity, a tornado of opinions, and a whirlwind of pop culture. Yet, we put it down and look around, the sun is out, the sky is clear, and the hornets don't seem to buzz all that much. News and social media can cause us to feel like there's so much going on and we aren't participating. It can cause us to feel like we aren't doing enough. But it never displays the hours of quietness at night, the silent drive to the store, or that deep breath you take on the back porch. Hey, what's up? We're here today with my friend and longtime Army buddy. Brian, Brian, what's up, man? How's it going? <laughs> hey, Nick. Thanks tell people me. who you are. Uh, well,
1: I'm the director of IT for g o l so that's why I'm here. I'm going to be answering some tech-oriented questions. Uh, I assume Nick might give the analyst or the user side perspective of things. Uh, I'll probably chime in with the systems and app analyst side of things and why you can't do that on a computer. And he'll tell me why they need to do it on a computer, and we'll go from there. Uh, my IT background's military. Uh, my degrees are in technology and management, so uh, we'll
0: flush that out as we talk, man. Yeah, so you're you're the director of IT for GOL. You're also the director of cybersecurity, and I understand that those two things are sometimes um, different. Uh, but can you tell me about kind of what your role is within the company? Yeah, sure. So at a big company, you're going to have different people doing those
1: functions, right? We're we're still a small business um luckily my background is in both uh my masters is in cybersecurity management um my as i was coming up in military and my undergrad is more IT focused so uh the early part of my career more on the IT and compliance and networking gear and everything under the sun and then as i grew into and cybersecurity became a bigger deal with the way technology is today uh that's why i focused on that in my masters so um uh, I feel lucky to be able to address both in our size company. Uh, So on the cybersecurity side of things, uh, as you guys may or may not know, I mean, one of our biggest customers is the Department of Defense. So certainly there's lots of cybersecurity standards we have to meet. So um, making sure that all those boxes are checked uh, from the compliance side, as well as just best practices, making sure that bad users like Nick over there who are, you know, inherently unsecure just because they're humans nothing they do it's just the way people are um you know are doing safe things and then at the flip side of that is on the it side you have to have infrastructure to support all that and then other things you don't even think of hvac power yeah. consumption like all that stuff so you have yeah, to wear
0: all those hats i want to talk about the infrastructure because you know as we push into these new technologies you know like the metaverse ai there's there's the infrastructure component to that. <clears throat> so how how do you actually make that work, right? From an infrastructure standpoint. But but first, you know, as the director of cybersecurity, we're always getting hit by these ridiculous attacks. <laughs> like I don't know where they come from. I don't know who sends them. But there's always someone impersonating me, pretending you know that I need some eBay gift card. Let me tell y'all, I don't do not and will not ever send you a thing asking for eBay gift cards. Now, if you want to send me an eBay gift card, you go right ahead. But uh, within GOL, it ain't happening. So what do we do to stop this kind of nonsense? It it, it seems ridiculous on a day-to-day basis when we're getting text messages from people pretending to be me or uh, emails asking employees to go do stuff. Um, What's the best thing that we can do to prevent being targets?
1: Well, I'll give you the short answer. The short answer is use your education, and then I'm going to work back to why that's the answer. Everyone, what they really want is the easy button, right? I want technology, or I want Microsoft, or I want this piece of gear or equipment or software that I buy to just fix it and filter out all the spam and garbage I don't need to be looking at, right? But the reality is, is that stuff's out there, and Microsoft and Cisco and all these people are doing this stuff in the background to filter it out, but what cyber criminals have is unlimited time. That, you know, if it doesn't work, they're just going to do it again. So, uh, one of the biggest things, like you said, with our company that we get is you know gift cards, right? And you know, at first we might get an email or two, but now Microsoft's pretty good at filtering out those emails now. So, what's the biggest thing now is like text messaging. I can't control every phone number in the world, right? Um, and even if I could, they're just going to spin up a new virtual one. And so tomorrow. They're scot free and Mm -hmm. sending the same messages. So that's why it comes back to user education. So, here, our primary focus is making sure that the users are just educated in the basics of attention to detail, hover over your links, make sure you're not clicking things, you know, the misspellings of stuff like that. And it's very easy for workers who are task saturated and just click, click through. I have a hundred, like, Especially, you, how many emails do you get a day as an executive? Hundreds. Right. And how many do you care about? Zero. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's probably more like right. So you, You're yeah. trying to go through that hand, look for the handful that are meaningful, right? And you might want to like click on something, sort through. and And that, that's where that discipline comes in to make sure that you take an extra half second to read the link you're clicking. So that's where it starts is user education. Um, also, that comes back to compliance, right? yearly compliance
0: yearly security training all those things like that that we do um uh, i always that? i always find that they send they send it from this obscure email address and that's that's usually what what you can tell they'll use the name right but then the email will be like at china.gov or something like that you know um dot org one of one of the things for me it's i don't want to say it's
1: hard to do but i've i have a I've been thinking like this. I've been trained to think like this for the last 20 years, right? So I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. Get out of here. Why would I click on that? But what I need to do and what other security professionals need to constantly do is put themselves in the user's shoes, right? Uh, And what I like to do is think of my elderly mother. Like, what's the stupid Mm -hmm. shit she's going to click on? Right. And if you can educate a user to make sure that those type of things are being looked at, It's because they're so busy. Uh, They got eight plus hours of work to do. They got kids to take care of. They got hobbies. They got volunteering. And like, you're just not thinking of these things as you're going throughout your day. And I do because it's
0: my job. But even I can slip up. right? And and that's today, right? They're faking an email address. Where it's getting interesting to me is, have you seen um, some of these AI image generators? Heck yeah. The artists are angry, man. <laughs> so, there's one called Mid Journey. It runs on a Discord server. Amazing. Um, and pretty soon, AI video will be a thing. I believe Facebook is working on one, Meta, whatever you want to call them. They're working on a AI generated video. And you're, you've already seen a bunch of these apps where you can take someone's face and you put in a song or something like that and it makes them sing something. From a security perspective, if I take a picture of someone at the company and I run it through one of those AI uh, generators and make them say something in video that they didn't say with their voice, with their voice, you know, what kind of security risk is that? That's, that's an AI futuristic security risk, which I feel like isn't that all that far away. Uh, Yeah, that's huge. So when I started off, you know, Hey, user
1: education. Number one. Yes. I think you need to plant that seed in your users' minds that that is coming. Technology is, you know, going to be increasingly used by the cyber criminals. So, just because I said let's focus on people first doesn't mean we don't want to use technology. So, I think the way you're going to combat these AI deep fakes and you know voice using other people's voice, which is a perfect voice form because they captured. Like their social media captures the podcast, yeah. They're now using this the, yeah. voice. You guys have my voice, so go ahead and <laughs> pretend to be me, right? I mean, um, they also have my face, like you, yeah. Right. So, digital, the digital version of us is out there, right? So, we're gonna have to lean on security tools using AI, using enhanced algorithms, things of this nature, just like they're using digital tools to try and trick
0: us, right? It's like fire on fire. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that AI has already gotten to the point to where it can generate an image from nothing, a few words, a, a few thoughts. You know, if you go into mid-journey and you write, you, you know, a cat riding a dinosaur wearing a hat eating popcorn, it'll generate something like that. And to me, that's crazy and astonishing. But 10 years from now? It's going to look a whole lot different. It's going to be a lot better. Um, you know, these, these companies like, you, like YouTube, which is owned by Google, I wonder what they think about AI-generated video. Because if all you have to do is type in a prompt and you can generate an entire movie, what is that going to do to the amount of server space back to the infrastructure perspective? If we're talking about AI, right, and its ability to generate things much, much more quickly than humans can, right, it takes a lot of firepower for us to come in and film something like this, multiple cameras, microphones, things like that. But AI doesn't need that. You know, you can go in and write a prompt and have a whole movie created, essentially, right? That's the direction that's going in. What does the infrastructure demand look like when you're putting a 1,000 times surplus on the current infrastructure? Like, how do you even consider thinking about that? So definitely going to increase, right? Um, That said,
1: technology, these companies that make their revenue based, like YouTube, right? Clicks and ad dollars, and they still, they might be thinking about it. I don't know that they're, Scared, they're gonna be thinking, How do I how do I leverage this? Right. So if there's a thousand times the data required and movies and images out there, they're gonna be thinking, How do how do I use this? Whether it's collecting data points, revenue dollars, whatever, all that I think they will find a solution to make that infrastructure work. Now that could be enhanced video algorithms. I know like everyone has Netflix, right? When Netflix first started. It was using a certain video algorithm and compression, and it takes up X amount of bandwidth. And then 4K video started to become a thing, and they had to tweak their, the way they're compressing that video and, you know, the technology behind so that it's shrinking. And I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but, um, you know, I'll just throw them out there, whatever. It used to take 75% of X, and now it takes 25%, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to get that. That's going to have to happen again. Right. Twenty five percent is going to have to go down to 10 percent or five percent of the available bandwidth for everything. Right. So there's definitely a technology play there. Another example is like um, everyone has like compact discs or Blu-ray discs or some disc form of data, which increasingly is getting less important because we just download everything uh, or stream it. But that technology, if you look at it through the years, increased in density. Right. Um, also increased, like something that never came out was called, well, it came out in science uh, labs and stuff like that. Um, I think it was Hitachi. It's called something called a fluorescent multilayer disk, an FMD. Most people never saw an FMD. They like stopped at Blu-ray disk. Mm-hmm. So Blu-ray, right, they're talking about the color of light used on the disk itself and the frequency of light spectrum. So fluorescent multilayer disk, they're taking the light beams, being read by the lasers and the bits on the disc and just using a ton of colors. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're going to increase the density. However many times you can increase the sensitivity of the light spectrum. So that's crazy. Like I could have a disc with tons and tons of space on it. I don't know the stats. I'm not going to attend, but check
0: it out. Look it up. You'll be like, Holy crap. How
1: come I never. So basically technology is going to change to
0: accommodate it is what have I have to create new happening. technology to yeah. support new technology. Yeah, for sure. I think the uh the metaverse is a one of those new technologies and I had a chance to try the Meta Quest Pro mm-hmm. and it's legit. Don't get me wrong, that Meta Quest Pro, you wear it, you can actually wear it for a, an extended period of time. I think that in the metaverse space there's there's a big problem that they're going going to need to address at some point and that's I started to feel a little sick after wearing it. You know, I imagine that most people probably would feel a little woozy after being in that digital space for a little bit. So I think that's definitely one area that they haven't really, um, there's a lot of talk and a lot of hype behind the metaverse, but man, I just feel sick when I wear it for a little while. I will say that. Can you watch 3d movies? You can watch movies on there. No, like 3d movies. Do they make you sick? No. I'm curious if there's correlation. No, 3d movies. I'm fine. Like avatar. You know, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah I was
1: wondering if there's a correlation to that same no. type of way people's eyes work or whatever.
0: It could be. Uh, I just found just walking around that digital space, you're like, oh. And then the other thing is you get these VR hands. This is what I call VR hands. What are VR hands? Uh, after you wear VR for a little bit uh, and you start to grab things with your hands, you start to kind of look at your hands as, as though <laughs> to say, are these my hands? You know, it 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 is really something, and I can imagine a future when everyone's got VR hands walking around, going, "Uh, you know, uh, we're trying to decide what's real and what's fake." Especially if you're spending extended periods of time in VR, man, it's gonna it's gonna happen. It, not that we we already don't spend half of our time in the
1: virtual space. We well, spend half our time
0: looking at a screen now. Right.
1: It's not necessarily in. Yeah
0: you know, immersion in an environment per se. So, um, what is cool is I was, I, I tried it on, I did the horizon worlds thing and I was jumping through different people's worlds. So meta has, uh, I don't know if it's a game. I don't know what you call it. It's an experience inside of their VR, um, store called horizon. And you can go in horizon. You can go to different people's worlds. So you can go and create a world sort of like how Minecraft works, right? You can create your own little world, and you can jump through those worlds, and in those worlds they have different tasks that you can do to like score points or whatever. They even had one that was just a straight up comedy shop, so you could go there at a certain time, and there would be a comedian there doing comedy in virtual reality uh, i thought I thought that was actually kind of cool and i and what really startled me though is i was I was walking around walking around um, one of the worlds, and some guy just came over to me and was like Hey Nick, what's up? And I flipped out like what the hell? Like how does this guy know my name? And I was like, "Oh, well, wait a second. It's floating over your head. It's right over my head." <laughs> and uh but it was cool that this random person could just be like, "Hey, here here I am." And and you could have a conversation. It's as close to this as it could possibly get. And imagine, you know, the the distance you can cover with with virtual reality. Um Anyways, what are your thoughts on on the metaverse in general? I I think it's gonna happen. And here's
1: why. It actually, anyone that knows me, I will defend this theory. Uh I like sci-fi movies and games and tech, and I feel like reality follows science fiction. And it's not because of, you know, it's I think it's just the way the human brain works. We're creative beings and who are more creative than some of the show writers for these sci-fi shows, right? So they think of this crazy outlandish thing, whether it's the speed of light or virtual shows of virtual reality, um, things like that. And then they have all these concepts of what it might be like. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We've we've mm-hmm. thought of this virtual reality tech and we've thought of the metaverse in movies like Ready, Ready Player One and Peripheral, the mm-hmm. uh Amazon Prime show just came out. I've been watching that. Mm-hmm. Been, that's kind of like gamers mm-hmm. and virtual reality and some of the experiences they have where like the VR can affect their actual body. Like, is that a thing? Like if you're talking about VR hands, like maybe it is. Like once your neurological system's like in tune with this stuff, like we don't hundred percent know right how it's gonna affect the body. So um all these like science fiction movies that are out there where this stuff is existing, whether it's technology or the medical side effects of it or whatever, like I almost feel like we've thought of it. So we're Going to make it happen because creative beings and that's what we do, right?
0: If if ready player one can happen, I'm in <laughs> yes that is awesome. You can just jump through different different Why universes. It be, right? Uh it seems cool. But again, I come back to the problem yeah. of I just felt sick after wearing the thing for yeah. a little bit. And I'm not the type of person that normally feels sick. However, um what is interesting on there. It, on the MetaQuest is there's a mode for mixed reality and what it does is just uses the external cameras and projects you know if you're working on an app or something like that it just pro- projects it into your space and you can see that you know the space around you via the camera i thought that was super useful and probably the most useful thing on there because i could have a desktop up here and then my actual monitor you could still see it They need to fix it. It's still the actual vision of the the camera, whatever, whatever it is. It's not super high resolution, Mm -hmm. which was a head scratcher to me. I'm like, if you're gonna make, you're gonna put the head, the high resolution camera somewhere. You would want it to be on the outside so that the person. Anyways, that's just, I guess, an engineering problem. But the mixed reality application seemed absolutely. Useful, and if you can wear the glass, if you can wear get the the size down uh, to where they're just glasses on your face, everyone's going to be wearing these glasses. Yeah, everyone everyone will wear these glasses. Um, they have Bose now has glasses with, you know, I think they use bone conduction to shoot sound into your ear. Facebook has a partnership with Ray Ban to, you know, send stories via the via the glasses. This is just a matter of time before a company like Apple or Microsoft or um, Google come out with the mixed reality headset that anyone can wear. I had the opportunity at the AUSA conference in D.C., which is the huge army conference they do every year in Washington, D.C. There's all sorts of cool tech there, robots, robot dogs. Did I mention robot dogs? There's robot dogs everywhere at this place. And um, all the cool stuff, tanks, drones, missiles, the next big weapon that does XYZ, it's all there, right? And one of the coolest things there was actually this um, this uh, section that the Army put on, which was just going over their operational manual. And they had you put on the HoloLens headset. And they showed you their different operational domains in the HoloLens headset, which was a mixed reality, right? So it was a hologram that just existed, and you could see the different domains that they operate in, air, land, sea, cyber, human, um, I forget all the domains, but uh, it was really neat to kind of have a visual representation of what the field manual is. Because you remember being in the Army, those field manuals are boring, (laughs) right? Like. I'm not going to use this thing. I'm not going to pull this out and read this thing while I'm working. But if you have this visual assistant that was always there, that you could just kind of pull up the field manual in your eye over here while you're doing work, I think that's got a lot of a lot of applications. I don't know why I thought of it, but
1: when you said the visual assistant and you like made the the heads-up display move, I instantly thought of Cortana. And for the record, Microsoft missed the boat with Cortana cuz there's Hey they Google did. and Alexa and Halo had Cortana years before, and I, I feel like that should be the AI we're talking to. Then they flubbed it up on yep. Windows 10 or whatever, and now no one uses it. So.
0: <laughs> well, I, I want Jarvis, personally. That's fair. You know, if you've ever seen Iron Man, it's like, Jarvis, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Jarvis, shoot me something from outer space. Um, no, but I think you're
1: right. Um, what's interesting about that is you say, you know, as soon as the eyes... Eyeglasses fit better, or they're smaller, or the tech changes, which harkens back to like the infrastructure and or the gadgets themselves, right? So there's always a technological component to people's vision, what, what they can create, what they can do. Um, Your overall augmented reality, mixed reality, I think definitely will provide the first like useful or meaningful business aspects. I think because. Uh, I mean, information drives society now. We're in smack in the middle of the information age, right? So think of overlaying blueprints, diagrams. You've seen the doctors using augmented reality, like Mm -hmm. patient, whether it's patient information or this is what the surgery, you should make the cut here. Like they can map out all this stuff ahead of time and then have training training, um, or maybe even procedural, like, Imagine being like over lit. I don't know. Like you're having tr- carpal tunnel. I don't, I don't want to get gross or anything. Like I have yeah. to make an incision on my wrist. Like what if you could like augmenting reality, lay it out precisely
2: mm-hmm. everything
1: you're supposed to do. Like how's that not useful, right? Like, right? think of mechanics, doctors, technologists. Think of Like you said, you hate manuals. Um, I have to know all of these. And it's not like I know them all off the top of my head, but. Like security protocols and NIST mm-hmm. 800-171, like there's obscure ones, right? Or maybe like I don't know all of the European ones because I primarily work in the United States. Well, what if my glasses
2: glasses could just reference mm-hmm. all of them? Like, <laughs> uh, I think we're gonna
0: go there. Why aren't? Why wouldn't we? I think it would be neat if somebody developed an AI that went through really boring things like field manuals <laughs> or those security documents that you're talking about. And the AI, AI generated a visually appealing movie of that topic that still hit everything for sure because there's there's a load of information and, and things like that that we just don't access because they're boring. Who wants to sit there and read anything from the government basically uh, <laughs> no, almost no one
1: um, That speaks to uh, like a gamification right of of things in general. Uh- you
0: have a psychology background too, right? I do. I have a degree of, in psychology from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington that I don't use. <laughs> understand. But it means you're a thinker, right? So uh,
1: things like that, like you said, I think what you're talking to is gamification. And for example, where that comes across in cybersecurity is like super boring, check the box training, like make it a game, make it fun, make it engaging, like all these technologies that you, we're talking about are going to increasingly make it easier to make it fun. Right. So that again, I think it just feeds into that loop of like this stuff is coming
0: is how can it not. I saw that Tesla is now making humanoid robots. Yes. And according to Tesla, according to Elon Musk, they're going to be cheaper than a car. So everyone will be able to purchase a humanoid robot to do mundane tasks. And the the question I keep going back to is... Is this a sci-fi movie? Yeah. Yes, sure. <laughs> Definitely. Okay.
1: My, my The question
0: I keep yeah. going back to, what the hell are we going to do? You know, if, if if a car is driving us somewhere, if a robot is doing our laundry and dishes and mowing our yard, do you think people are just going to work more? Or just not work. (laughs) Or just not work at all. I don't know.
2: Someone has to work,
1: right? There's always people behind the scenes making stuff happen. Like, I think someone's always going to be working hard um, to control the 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 infrastructure, right? So, I don't think. That said, it will, like, increase productivity, right? Um, Some of the service. Unless you get a lazy robot, that could happen, right? What if AI is, like. I've analyzed history through the years, and you guys do x amount of hours of work. So, why should I do any more than that? Oh, and by the way, I can do it in two hours. So, I'm just going to do that today.
0: I think I think it was Ray <laughs> Kurzweil, who's have you heard of Ray Kurzweil? Who's he? Uh, he's a he works at Google. At least he used to work at Google. I'm not sure where he's at now. But he had this interesting prediction, uh, and there's an info. Graph that's floating around the internet of Ray Kurzweil's predictions. And one of his predictions is in the next 10 years or so that AI will be sentient and it will start asking for things like rights. So now if we have a robot that's doing
2: our laundry, right? And it starts asking for rights, what do we do there? What, what right does
0: a robot have if it says that it feels things it has fear, happiness, joy, anxiety, hate the same things we do do we make it prove it Is't that what is that the turing test? That's the turing test yeah, yeah when when a computer system has to pass other pass people a human. That,
1: other people that don't know it's a computer system have to experience interacting with it and not know that it's a computer or a robot, right? That's how it truly passes. So, right. I mean, look at the algorithms and stuff. And like you were talking about the art earlier today, like I guarantee we could generate some AI art and say someone painted this and people
2: will believe you, right? So if we're there with art, like I think that's inevitable, man. So we're going to have a robot
0: mowing our yard, and doing laundry. By the way, I'm all for them doing laundry. I hate laundry. (laughs) I hate folding laundry. Uh, I hate everything about laundry. So I'm all for that. (laughs) But uh, if the robot starts saying, hey, you know, um, this election coming up, I'd like to go vote, if you don't mind. You know, I really like policies of XYZ. Um, I think it raises some serious questions. As a, what do we what do we do? Do you turn it off? You know, are you killing a consciousness at that point? So there's all these rules out there, right? And you'll what do the pro-lifers say? Is yeah. this life?
1: <laughs> uh, it's crazy, man. We're gonna get there for sure. Um, there's all these rules that computer scientists have on AI, right? And um, I'm sure you'll find various levels of people that agree with the different ones, but there's some level of we should not pass this threshold or. Don't program it too smart because you're going to open Pandora's box. And even if the community at large said recognize some sort of threshold that says, "Mm, you know, if we do this, it's going to create some sort of issue for us somehow. Right. Some scientist is going to go past it. They're going to push the boundaries just because they can Right. Like just because you agree with point X is bad if we make robots perform and think this way doesn't mean everyone agrees with you so some other computer scientist is going to make a sentient robot so that's why i think it's inevitable Uh, especially if
0: there's incentive mm -hmm. right and in order for an ai system a robot whatever to be effective they'll need to have that sentience right in order for them to actually do a lot of the tasks that humans perform they need to have the ability to think critically You made me think
1: i'm plugging in man Whenever, whenever we can augment. So think about that. You make a robot. I'm no longer an efficient worker. Well, why do you need me? Well, if I could augment my body to be maybe not 100% a robot, but my mind is not, I have instant access to data and things that are math, computation, whatever. I don't know what that is, but that's another thing uh, people are working on, right,
0: is you know, neuro, neurological interfaces and stuff. The brain-computer interface. brain interface, yeah. So that's another Elon Musk thing where he's... uh, They have a a company called Neuralink. And Neuralink is to the point now where they have a monkey that can play Pong with its mind.
2: Can it play itself?
0: I believe it it plays the computer, but I could be wrong about that. Wouldn't that be like crazy? It it breathes through a straw. I don't know if it's (laughs) eating. I don't know what it's doing. But the monkey has Neuralink in its in its brain, the implant. And they have it linked up to a machine. And there's a video of it on YouTube of it playing Pong. And I'm astonished that, first of all, the monkey can play Pong. Forget, forget the whole other brain computer <laughs> interface I'm like, oh, monkey can play Pong. Uh that doesn't explain why I suck so much at it. Um, but I just thought that was pretty neat. So that means we're what's happening? I mean, DNA-wise, right? We're
1: pretty close to chimpanzees, right? I'm a, are they using chimpanzees? I don't know. I haven't really. Pretty sure it's a chimp. Okay, yeah. so again, if they can do it there, their brains pretty similar. It means they can probably. So I've read uh, human. There are already some human brain interfaces, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's a lesser scale than what uh, Neuralink is shooting for. Like I know. I saw people have been blind for years on end, whether they were born that way or onset in life due to a disease or something like that. Um, You know, they'll do a surgery and there's uh, ocular centers in your brain and they'll plug in some probes and a little interface and a patch to some glasses with some cameras on them. And all of a sudden it might not be perfect vision, but you've been blind the last eight years. And now you can see in like eight bit blue and black imagery or something. Is it perfect? No. But you just went from not
2: seeing at all to 8-bit imagery. You can see people coming in the room, right? Yeah. So, we can already do that.
0: So, basically, you'll be able to think something and depending on the tools you have available elsewhere, you can make something happen somewhere else in the world. So, if you're if if you're doing a human mind interface over the internet, and you have robots, you'd have a human mind interface to a robot somewhere else. While you're in the metaverse, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so one of the things I think about is the future of the intelligence profession. As a geoint person, we've always worked with really high-powered national-level, government-sponsored satellites with awesome sensors on them. Now we're starting to see just tons and tons of commercial satellites, new drone systems coming online, new sensors for those drone systems. And I think the war in Ukraine has really highlighted the power of open-source information. I believe the future of the intelligence space is all unclassified. I can totally see a future when people are sitting in buildings like this doing intelligence work. But with that comes some obvious concerns with security, with espionage, things like that. Where does your mind go when you think about doing unclassified intelligence work that is used in government decision making? I think
1: it's going there like you said open source intelligence obviously a big deal but i think the tools and the methods and the the sensors and the gadgets and the gizmos that are collecting all of the intelligence are going to become increasingly commercial or unclassified i don't know that the governments or any governments around the world are going to ever not have classified stuff because really what's happening is and even this works the way um, you know classification systems work now let's just stay classified Secret, top secret, right? If you put the right three pieces of secret intelligence together, it can become top secret because of the message it conveys that we didn't realize, right? So that I feel like that same thing. Governments aren't gonna let that go. Um, you know, when you put together all this internet of things data from sensors and um Starlink, satellite gizmos and data and ones and zeros and what car cameras from the intersections and municipalities once all that stuff comes together to track a high value target i feel like governments are still going to classify right because mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes all the sources are commercial and unclassified but once they get that tidbit of special intel i feel like they're still going to hold it right and they're still going to want a secret network to put that on and guard it not share it with you know so uh, what are your thoughts on that
0: like well I think certainly you don't want an adversary to know that they're being targeted, right? Yeah. right? That's 100% for sure. Uh, that's why when you're collecting open source intelligence, you do things like misattribu- attribution, right? You don't let the target know that you're collecting on them. Hopefully,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? There's all sorts of ways you can do that through, especially through social media. Um, or some of the stuff that people just straight up put out publicly for you to consume and derive intelligence from. uh,
2: My thought was, if if you're
0: collecting intelligence via open source means, there's obviously a large barrier to entry for getting to a level of credibility in that information, right? It's hard to get to a high level of credibility for open source information because anyone could put stuff out there that that's not true. Right. If, if you're trying to thwart an adversary, if you, if you think a government is collecting on you, right. And you're not wearing a tinfoil hat and they're actually are collecting on you. Um, you're going to put some fake stuff out there. You're going to go on Foursquare and say you're at Joe's pizzeria when you're not right. You're going to put some, some fake information out there. So to me, I think about it as a filtering problem, right? We're going to have to put more robust, critical thinking people at the forefront of intelligence. I believe it's going to require people that think through the intelligence data a lot more than they even do now. So I think now, you know, with social media, with open source information, um, it's, it's crazy, right? There's so many data sources, and you're trying to piece together a story. Uh, and in the, in the future, as people become more weary of this type of collection, right, they're going to start to do things to misdirect. So it's going to take intelligence professionals a lot of time to weed through that data to understand what's real and what's fake and you know and that is to say that you can't get good data from fake data right of course there's metadata things like that that are included in everyone's digital dandruff right every time you put something online there's there's a information there um no matter how good you think you are at hiding it it is there um so my thought is just If if collection is occurring in an unclassified way, right? Or from unclassified means, I should, I should say, right? If if there's a camera out in the street corner, a closed circuit TV camera that's accessible to the public, and we're using that to collect information. And we're looking at social media at the same time. Like you said, when you put those two things together, maybe it lets an adversary know that they're being targeted the security concern i'm interested in is something like espionage right so if we're collecting an unclassified an unclassified medium how do we stop an adversary from you know forcing us to do something we might not want we're collecting on ourselves you know, as you're going over that stuff, it's
1: funny because initially I was like, "Oh, I know what I want to talk about." Because for a long time I've had an idea of um, a security service, which I think might come to fruition in the future. And it's it's kind of like you think about sports, right? Offense, defense. To be good at one, you should at least know the other, or be good at it as well, right? So cybersecurity people often think about that. Sometimes the best defenders are really good hackers, you know, really good hackers and People manipulate and people digitally are really good at defending so they know what not to do too, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So in that scenario, what I thought I'd do was let's just put all of the information out there, too much extra. Like, let's just flood, right. flood the data. And I feel like there'll be once, if open source becomes more and more uh, proficient and it's collecting and stuff, I think you're going to start to see services, maybe even governments at first doing this, where... They're just gonna put out reliable, credible-looking fake data. So, okay. like you mentioned, someone tweets they're at a restaurant and they're really not. So they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Well, we can probably right now go look at maybe where they tweeted is geotagged, where they really are, and not at said pizza shop. Right? Like a technologist or an analyst with someone that's detail-oriented is gonna catch that right mm-hmm. away, um, or a computer algorithm sorting through this stuff like all the security stuff does based on rule sets that people have set up you know if XYZ coordinate doesn't match this named coordinate like flag it but what happens when the people that know that start thinking the other way so like okay I'm a cell service that when you tweet you're somewhere I somehow reference that appropriate geotag and it looks more believable that you were there. Right. So when you start putting out all like this an
0: authority service,
1: digital shaft, right. So yeah. like obscure your location or what you're really doing is that it looks authoritative. So I think that will be the next thing. Or like say social media, what if, um, you know, my name, you Google my name and you'll get a certain amount of social media presence. What if I knew someone was going to do that and I didn't want them scanning for me. And I'm just like, well, fine. I'm just going to make it so that when you do that search, you get a billion returns. Like, go ahead, sort through them all. Figure it out which one's real. A okay. needle
0: and a stack of needles.
1: Yeah. Instead
0: like, of a needle in the hay. Right. Okay. Right. Um. That's that's interesting. So instead of letting an adversary know that you're collecting on them individually, just collect on everyone. And don't yeah, see you can flip do. it. You can only flip everything. Right. Um, that's that's an interesting way of doing it. Um, from from an intelligence perspective, I'm always trying to think about how is an analyst going to weave these threads together to to tell the story, to tell that intelligence story to a decision maker. I think it's interesting to consider
2: that. commercial data is now so
0: pivotal in the intelligence picture that you almost can't make a complete picture without it. And if I'm a bad actor, right, I might pose as a commercial vendor and sell crap data. Or maybe it's good data, but it's, you know, attributed differently or it's authored differently or it's got different metadata on there. It's got something on there. um, Which could effectively waste millions and millions of hours of manpower, you know, going through data. That's not good, right? That's not, that's not good at all. The intelligence community as a whole has a big problem right now with just the way their data is structured. You have 18 different agencies now in the intelligence community Uh, with the addition of Space Force recently. Um, And all of them do intelligence a different way, and they use different mediums and different formats and different schema. And I can totally see it as plausible as, you know, a Chinese company that just sells crap data, right, for commercial purposes. We think it's good, and then... so the I, intelligence picture doesn't get it gets built, but in a way that we don't we don't know.
1: Yeah. It's, it's I, I wear the tinfoil hat and I'll tell you it's already happening. Right. How many how many Chinese companies own assets, companies, land, whatever in other countries? It's not like, sure, it's in the United States they own some fake company and they have an agenda. That's might be true. But they're doing it all over the world. So think of it on a technological level, like you want to obscure your digital footprint on the internet. You can VPN into somewhere and remote it. You know, so there's like this layers of an onion you have to uncover because you're covering up your true digital identity. Well, now take that concept, put it into supply chain or fake shell companies spitting out bad data. And maybe it's you know, it's really hard to catch the bad actor when they own two countries in Asia, which is owned by a third who also owns one another country who mm-hmm. then owns another, you know, umbrella corporations, all that business. It's going to get increasingly hard to figure out what's fake and what's real. So,
0: Brian, in 30 seconds or less, how do we stop China? I'm joking. Uh, um, better question. <laughs> better question. How do they stop us? How do they stop us? Maybe is, that's how you think about it, right? Uh, I. That is, that should be how we think about it with an offensive mindset versus defensive mindset. Is TikTok evil? Uh, The DOD says it is.
1: Now, you can ask different analysts and they'll give you one thing. Uh, Some will say it is, some will say it isn't. The reason the Department of Defense says it is, is because they don't have control. It's owned by a Chinese company, right? And it's pulling things. When you hit yes and you install an app on your phone, like... It lists the things it's going to take as far as that goes. goes. Um, it might be your access to your files, your name, your email, your geotech location, whatever it is, it's going to have a list. And that stuff's all being stored every time someone posts a TikTok video from an app on their phone on servers in China. So someone that has a career of wearing the tinfoil hat to them. Yeah, definitely. Right. To someone that says, well, who cares if I post what I eat every day on TikTok and it gets a million views? I, is that super intelligent data that care if they have? I don't know. I think it comes down to the content of the data. So if you are going to be wary of it, um, you know, don't post important things. I, I don't think defense and federal employees are going on TikTok posting important things. I think it's it's their maybe the problem arises it's their kids doing silly mm-hmm. things and. Now it's geotagged to their house and their internet IP of the parents. And then that gets cross-referenced because we live in the digital age. So that's why there's an emphasis on do we want to use it or not. Now flip the coin, which I always like to do. U.S. companies collect data too, right? It's just we don't care about it
0: as much because we're U.S. citizens. Well, we have more of a separation between private companies and the government. Yeah, We're not there. The government is hand-in-glove in China right? Yes. With, with their companies. Yep. Um, I read something recently that kind of had an interesting perspective on TikTok from the stance of persuasion,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right, influence. So let's take Taiwan, for example. We all know China would like to take over Taiwan. And right now, I think if you polled the general American public, we would say, that's not good. That's not a good thing. But if you're able to, through algorithms on TikTok, influence the way people think about Taiwan, and you're able to influence enough of the general public to say, ah, eh, we don't really care. What's our interest in Taiwan? Then you're opening the door for China to go in, you know, take over Taiwan and, and not see much of a fight from us because the general public's saying, this isn't in our interest to defend them, so I think the, the the stance as an influencer is is interesting. I will say
1: too, it's also interesting to look at the use of that application in other countries and the use of it in China. Are you familiar with how it's used in China? It has limits. You can only post certain types of content. Um, there's hourly, like, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't know them precisely right so don't quote me go look it up right oh um, so you're saying tiktok so
0: has tiktok
1: china is not the same as tiktok us tiktok mm-hmm. us they let you post whatever the heck you want as many hours whatever um and this is kind of kind of segue into like a social media like am i rotting my brain type thing but they want other countries on there as much as possible because they want to collect as much as possible whether it's just people's faces ips whatever it is they're doing but yet, on the whole front, they restrict what type of content it can be, the hours it can be accessed, uh, only on the weekends, only so many hours a day. I don't know what those restrictions are because right. you know, I was talking with this uh, in passing with someone. Uh, but it'd be interesting to look up because pretty sure, you know, they definitely have, I feel like someone that wears a tinfoil hat like me feels like they have an agenda because why you use it one way in your country and you use it a different way
2: in
0: my mm-hmm. country. And TikTok has definitely changed the game in terms of social media. Yeah. It is super super hyper addictive. You can go on TikTok and you'll just be fed a feast of highly engaging content. Every video after another is just, you know, it's made by creators and the algorithms are really really good. In fact, all the other social media companies are trying to copy TikTok, right? At least with how good their algorithm is at generating engaging content for that user. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about in the monologue, like TikTok is creating this algorithmic feast of engaging content for us to eat every morning. Right. We're like looking at these things. Um, And even if it's not TikTok, right. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, they're all, they all have adopted the same, Philosophy of oh well, it's not necessarily that we want to push content by people that have the most followers. We want to push the most engaging things uh, to the people that are currently using the app. Right? They, they they learn who you are. The algorithm learns who you are and learns what your interests are. The interest graph, so to speak, and then it plots you on that graph, and then it just feeds you those items over and over. So to me. I see TikTok as kind of like a um a foot in the door to our brains. You know? It's 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 the first thing to come that's nothing's ever existed like this. I think it's it's understated to say it's just another social media app. It's not. Have you have you used TikTok at all? Not too much. Uh when I use it, it'll be a link
1: to a the right. website. I don't have the app and you know, and this is because I wear the tinfall app. Right. Right. You're a security guy. You're not yeah, going yeah. on there. And I've been told, you know, don't because I work with the DID, the DOD and whatnot. And so I just don't, Uh, Mm -hmm. I've seen it and I know it's addictive and I I get it. Um, I would say, you know, there's all these content creators. And as I'm listening to you say, you know, this is the doorway in, right. Psychologically, you're Mm -hmm. into your time, your the things you care about, the things we can get you to watch because of this Mm -hmm. algorithm, like, um, you know, the content creators, I want to almost label them like, they're the manipulators. It's like the manipulator and the manipulated. Like, but who's really pulling that string is right. the owners, and it's out of you know generating revenue, gathering intelligence, whatever it is they're doing. I mean, someone has an, like you don't have a company with an agenda, right? Right. So, what is TikTok's real agenda? Um, yeah, it could be
2: make money, get big, get famous, get huge, but it's doing it, right. I think I think it's interesting because
0: the way TikTok works is it's obviously that it's obvious that all the social media companies are going to copy this the way their algorithm works like absolutely 100% sure that that's going to happen because that's if you look at the numbers on polling it's the amount of time people spend on TikTok versus even Instagram now is through the roof. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm an Android person. Right? i have Android phone, Google stuff. And to your point, uh,
1: when you go on YouTube now, after a scroll or two, you're into the YouTube shorts.
2: Yep. You're no YouTube longer, shorts. You're yeah. You're no longer
1: on YouTube. They're going to the same thing. Right? So they're totally
0: pulling from that, that algorithm. Right. But if we, if we jump back to security, that their algorithm is so powerful at feeding this engaging content I feel like you, met, you mentioned, you know, are the content creators co-con, co-conspirators essentially? Right. I don't think they, they no, no, right. of course they're not. Right. Content creators will create content in any niche they can right. in order to make money, right? Because there's incentive, incentive drives action. Um, but ByteDance, the company that owns TikTok and the Chinese government, I, sh- I don't think it would be that difficult for them in Five years, you know, they don't think in short term like we do. Oh, no. You know, they could maybe in 20 years they do this. They say, you know, uh, we want to influence the way Americans think about X. So we're going to start dangling this content over here from this creator uh, to more people. Right. We're going to start sprinkling that in. Here's the salt to go over your. (laughs) Or they've been doing this around the world for 20 years. So, you know what? Remember when we did that in this country and
1: this happened? Well, now we want... It, wouldn't it be nice if that happened over there? Let's start to move mm-hmm. that campaign over there. Those people will start acting like that, right? Right. So, yeah, Ch- I mean, if people aren't familiar. Chinese Chinese mindset when they compare it to board games is go, long-term, right. slow, methodical. And the West is always compared to chess, like charge the hill, take over the most advantageous point, center of the map, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I could totally see that, right? And that's what security people that think like that are afraid of. They're like,
2: yeah, maybe it's not super dangerous now, but could be in the future. Yeah. It's,
0: def- it's definitely something I'm paying attention to. I do have a TikTok account. That's fine. Joel has a TikTok account. Yeah. But um, you're aware, right? Some very, people are just on TikTok and they don't even... Very much aware of it. Uh, I actually set a, a personal goal for myself to create more content than consume. So I try not to just consume content as much as actually creating stuff. I feel like it's a much better use of time on social media. But a lot of people consume a lot of content on there, including me. One of the things I struggle with is just putting the dang phone down. Right. Um, I can't tell you how many times I get uh, a nice tap on my shoulder for my wife to you know put the phone down because we're eating dinner or something. Um, they're just, they're just addictive and the algorithms are addictive and they, they, they have us hooked. And I'm a little concerned with, you know, what are our kids going to grow up doing, right? Yeah. They're going to be even more hooked. They're going to be even more engaged. Yeah. that's. What, I mean, so I have children and I try
1: to, like, mine are young still, but I like things like games and screen time in general, like, I try to limit that stuff just because, uh, you know, the jury's not out on the long-term effects of social media and screens. And yeah, sure, we have a decade, two decades worth now, but that's not the same amount of information as... 50 years worth of this data, especially as it changes and algorithms changed. you know? So um, I think there's other articles and stuff i read out there. Uh, if you look at some of the owners and executives of these social media companies and stuff, like they don't let their family and children use it mm-hmm. or they put limits on it and stuff. So right. there's definitely some psychological and behavioral aspects to this thing that intelligent from an intelligence community standpoint, uh, that's why it's interesting, right? Human intelligence, behavioral, psychological, all those things. We might not think about it as we're scrolling through our social media apps, but uh, there's lots of people out there that do it in the intelligence communities. Well.
0: So I have one last question before before we wrap up. And, you know, you're a IT security person. You can obviously build a massive network and run it and you know what to get, what security protocols to put in place. Um if if you're a small business owner, what are some kind of easy things that you can do to prevent yourself from being hacked, targeted? Any of this stuff? Gotcha. The number one
1: thing is get a so not everyone has a network engineer or a Cisco certified network professional on staff, like small businesses don't have that, right? But there, there exists today good quality edge devices that will filter uh things. They have internet detection or internet prevention devices on them. Uh so like here at GWOW, we don't use uh the latest, greatest, most expensive stuff that the DOD does, but all of our stuff filters automatically. Intrusion prevention system is what's called IPS. So invest the $500, invest the $1,000 for a small business to do some of these things and that enforce basic network protocols that you might not be able to afford to have a network engineer on staff, right? So that's number one. Uh, Number two is user education. I I harped on that earlier. Um, Don't click the link it really it really is it, all our
2: fault it is. it is
1: uh i don't want to throw the number out there because i don't know it and it changes but it's it's ridiculous it's 85% it's 92% all of that of most breaches start with a fish or a a phone call or some sort of social engineering the human is still today the weakest link in security so i will caveat my statement and add to it rather get yourself a good edge device that filters these things and hides your presence from the internet. Um, but also, being that the human is the weakest link, uh, strengthen your humans. Training, uh, just being aware, attention to detail. Something that might get overlooked. Uh, if you work in a, uh, a restaurant or a, a automotive repair shop, HVAC. I think one of the... Uh, top of my head, pulled an example. HVAC company. Remember a few years ago, I think it was like... TJ Maxx had this one of this first big huge like credit card dump stolen, mm-hmm. right? And I believe uh it came from the people that their HVAC company that service their corporate uh, air systems, like they were a small business. So their HVAC companies don't have network professionals, right? So yeah, that's where it came. And you know, up the chain. So mm-hmm. if you're a small business, don't think, oh, I'm not a target. You might not be the ultimate target, but you might be the entryway target, right? Trying to get to the big guy you work with. So.
2: Cool. So basically, don't be the weakest link. Peace.